is why you should care about who the guest is. This is Dan. This is this is Dan Martell. I'm gonna read the thing. Uh, so Dan Martell, entrepreneur, angel investor, thought leader, buzzword, uh, and highly sought after coach in SaaS. That is true. Or software as a service. Um, you were kind of you were early to the software as a service type thing. I feel like you were like really punching this way before everyone uh, got on board. We didn't call it SaaS. Yeah. Uh, So you founded, scaled, successfully exited three technology companies within a 10-year period. I assume that means like big, big exits. Yeah. Uh, 2012, you were named Canada's top angel investor. Um, Having invested in more than 50 startups such as Intercom, I know them, Udemy, know them, Unbounce, know them, nice. 2016, Dan found the SaaS Academy and grew it to become one of the largest coaching companies in the world with 1,000 plus active clients. Also an Ironman athlete, philanthropist, husband, and father of two incredible boys. Aw. Thanks, man. Yeah. So the the first question I have personally, oh, and you got a book, Buy Back Your Time. There you go. Guess what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Buying back your time. Well, like, I'll definitely want to talk about that. So one of the things that first interested me about you was like all the SaaS stuff, right? Software as a service has like kind of the recurring income model that's so coveted, but very few people start these these SaaS companies. Mm. So you got like a thousand plus people doing this. Um, I'm always curious about consulting and like coaching at scale. Yeah. So there's one of you, yeah. but thousands of people that want your advice. Yeah. So you started a thing called SaaS Academy. Like what, what is that? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, so it would look like most people would know as like a business consultancy at this point. And, and the reason why is so at scale. And when I started, it was just the Dan Martell show, right? Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't even called SaaS Academy. It was literally danmartell.com. You're a coach. Who do I coach? SaaS founders. Okay, what's your website? danmartell.com. So yeah. <laughs> that was probably for four years. But then it just grew to, I think we were at about two, 300 clients. Mm-hmm. And then it just became too much for me. And the truth is, is like, I like to have certain types of conversation. But if you want to get to me, if you're like, what would you hate to do all day is repeat myself. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, if I taught something, I feel like you're the same way. It's like, I want to document it. I want to teach it. And then like, you almost have to. Yeah. Like I just don't have an interest of talking about something that I've talked about 17,000 times. So we made a really good YouTube video about exactly animations and stuff. And, and like, maybe you they could should go just check watch it. this and it'll be better than me telling you a hundred thousand percent. So um, around that time, that's when I, I, I even decided that I wanted to grow it into something bigger than the Dan Martell show. And then that's when I just do what I honestly, I teach in the book. I hired, uh, my first coach started hiring other coaches. Then I hired customer success people that I, I literally looked at my calendar and followed the same process. And now we have, uh, we have a head of coaching, Laura, she has a ton of coaches. So we have dozens of coaches. They're all certified. They certified on our methodology they all come from coaching. So like mm-hmm. uh, Shopify, Dropbox, like a lot of the top tech companies today actually have um, people development teams mm-hmm. and those are the coaches. Mm-hmm. So they understand not only the, the mechanics of SaaS, but then, they're, but they're, they're, they're implementing and executing my frameworks. So it's the Dan philosophy, but Dan's not needed because I built the methodology. So that's why like right now there was an event uh, for the last two days with hundreds of people there. Mm-hmm. And I only went on, I wasn't even there. I showed up day two, did my keynote and then laughed. The team, the team runs it highest NPS score we've ever done for an event. And that's just, I do what I teach in the book. So, so basically you have a, a bunch of people in the beginning say, Hey Dan, what's your advice? And you yeah, start noticing. started with the YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you started with YouTube. Yeah, I, I, after I sold Clarity, um, I decided I was in San Diego, okay, which is the freaking, you know, it's where all the freaking gurus hang out. And I didn't, I didn't know this, dude. I went there, I'm like with my family, and we we're just gonna hang out on the beach. 
And I started running into like all these like authors and thought leaders. And it was this guy, Travis. You know Travis Houston? You ever run into Travis? I don't know. San Diego. He worked with like uh, a bunch of influencers and stuff. Mm -hmm. But he said, you should do YouTube. And I said, I'm not 17. Like I'm not, why? Why? Like I, I'm, I'm like so not in that phase of my life. And he was just like, well, I think you'd be selfish not to share what you've learned. Because I don't, I would love to learn. Like you've built an exit of these companies. You clearly have a different perspective. I want selfishly, I would love to watch your content. And there was something about the, the, how anxious I got about it. You know, I don't know if you're like this, but like when somebody says, Hey, you ever think of doing this? And I'm like, I would never do that. I've at least gotten aware enough to go, Ooh, why am I so resistant? And there was just something about him saying that. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Or I, that's not for me that I was like, why? And then I realized it was this, the fear, right? The fear of going on camera, the fear of talking, the fear of teaching, the fear of nobody watching, like all that stuff. And uh, that's what started all. And, and the only reason I stuck with it is because I decided to do it for my two boys. And they were like one and two at the time, or maybe two and three. It's just, if something happened to me, what would I have left at that point? It'd be a digital Nothing. copy of you. Yeah, just everything. So the first videos was a lot about like life, philosophy, choosing your passion, dealing with, you know, poopy people. And then um, it kind of got into business and then I ran out of that stuff. And then I got into SaaS and that's when like people were like, do you do- well, Okay, here's why, I'm, here's why I'm very interested in it. So we have like family friends and stuff that yeah. are in college, right? And you talk to them and a lot of them will say like they don't go to class because they just record all the classes. And that a lot of the they professors- Yeah, and a lot of the professors will just say, watch this YouTube video about this topic. That's what's going on in the education system I mean, right I mean, if, if, you, if you are trying to learn something about computer programming, like algorithms or something, right? Yeah. A guy with a chalkboard- and, yeah. and, and a piece of chalk in versus his hand like a highly edited video. Cannot compare to like no. three bound, two blue, whatever that channel is. Like they do yeah. like it's crazy animations, and you're like, oh, I understand it now. There's no way that you can compete with that, right? And so maybe rightly, they're just like, if you really want to learn this, watch this 10 minute YouTube video. It's going to be way better than me going, like, here's an algorithm. You're not right? wrong. Yeah. And there's going to be like a professional YouTube guys edit it down. It's got everything good. Yeah. Jump cuts every three and, and seconds. So, and so I always, I actually kind of think like what we do in these like little communities of like roughly a thousand, because my community has like roughly about a thousand members. Yeah. And we'll talk about that more. Um, I, I've noticed like, I think that's what college is going to be at yeah. some point. I think yeah. it's going to start emulating aspects of like what we do. That's why I'm curious about SAS Academy. So when you do it, when you have a thousand students, like what are they doing inside? Are they like chatting to each other? Is this like a forum? It's all of the above. I mean, the truth is, is the product evolves and I'm not involved. Mm -hmm. So I, I can, I, I don't want to misrepresent. I'll tell you what I think they're doing, <laughs> but I don't know. Okay. There's three programs, right? And mm -hmm. I think most businesses have those kind of three phases. There's kind of like we don't do pre-product market fit. So right off the bat, you have to have a product that people want to buy. Okay? So you're not teaching people Zero. If you want to go start, I, I call it software curious. If you're SaaS, you want to be a SaaSpreneur, go learn from somebody else. That's not what we do. Okay. Today, that may change. Again, it's not my decision. So, um, so if somebody has some level of um, sales for their software product, then they come to us and then we help them understand this is actually how the, 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 the machine works. See in software and, and honestly, in any reoccurring business, there's only four variables that will actually tell you at what point into the future, you will hit what's called your growth ceiling. You can map it to the day. 
that you will, if you keep these current numbers of production, how many clients you get, what you charge per month, how many people leave every month, and what's the average price, right? Mm -hmm. You can map it to the day. So then once you understand that, then we got to go look and say, what's the, what's the, um, priority of projects that if you install and here's the data we're going to look at to tell you if you're fixing it, mm -hmm. it will over time that that number gets bigger and further out into the future. Mm -hmm. Like for some, some software founders, they're like three months away from hitting the growth ceiling, right? With their current numbers. Other ones are like 17 years away. Meaning they're going to cap out on sales and that's pretty yep. much all they could ever do. Yep. And they're doing 5,000 a month and you're like, that's about what the market can support. Yeah. But I mean, it's usually a little bit bigger. It might be like 76,000, but it's in three, three months or whatever. And then it's like, well, that, that's not enough to exit for whatever they want nine figures. Right. Yeah. So we, we show them that's like, that's like the first program we do, which we call the accelerator. And we want to get them out of that as fast as possible. Okay. So, so every person that comes into that, they, it's, it's a one year commitment, but honestly, if we can get you out of that within two months game on, and that's, that's always the plan. So our coaches in that program, they're actually incentivized financially for their accounts. They manage their clients to get them out of there. Cause that's not, what we want to keep people. Then we go into the core program, which is the Academy. Mm -hmm. And that's where we start talking about the operating system, mm -hmm. the organizational structure, the, the leadership. Cause I don't know, Neville, if you realize this, but most CEOs are actually crazy. I think you need to be right. Yeah. But they're okay. You have to be crazy to start, but if you're crazy with people, then people will leave. Mm. So most people don't realize crazy in certain points, positive, crazy in other areas, pain. So we actually teach them. Yes. The most advanced software scaling, sales motions, all that stuff, churn, monitoring, all that stuff. And here's how you talk to your team. Here's the meetings you run. Here's the rhythms you run. Here's the agenda structure. Here's the, here's how you deal with underperformance. Like all the, the softer skills that if they haven't deliberately decided to go work on that, mm -hmm. it'll actually be the Achilles heel that never allows them to grow. Hmm. So, so that's the second program and the highest end program, which I'm more involved in, in, in the sense that like I spend time with these guys. So that's the event starts tomorrow and the day after mm -hmm. that's, we call that boardroom. And that is more, let's look at do you have an advisory board? Do you have a, do you have the right cap structure? Do you have the right financing in place? And that's all to achieve what we call the perfect exit. So every one of our clients, when they enter boardroom, we, we build a plan to say, what is the perfect exit for you? It could be going public. It could be exiting. Like one of our clients, Brad just sold. We're going to celebrate him at this event. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, th these are just great. You know, like some of these folks that are like middle America flyover states, but they like, you know, they just sit there and they do the work. Mm -hmm. now, those are my clients. They're not San Francisco, New York, major Austin. Yeah. Like they're, <laughs> they're literally in non-tech communities but they're willing to do the work. They're, they're, they're kind people. So I love seeing them get incredibly wealthy and we build a plan for that. And some of them, it's uh, like one of my clients, Tom, it's, Hey, I want to hire a CEO to run this. I want to own it, but I don't need to be in it. And that's, that's what we build towards. What about, so I bet your time becomes more valuable than with all these people, you know, they have all these different programs, but people want to talk to you. My time is as valuable as the economic production per year that I produce in my life mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with coaching. But so let's say someone wants to hire you for an hour and just be like, I want to talk to you. It, I mean, they could do it. The number today would be like, it, I, I don't even like to say it cause it'd be like, but if they wanted it, they could and gets those requests. Maybe I do three a year and I decide cause I don't, I don't want to get on a call that I don't want to have my energy. I protect it. 
but it's you know it's tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, but it, but it could. There's like a number that you, you're just like okay, it's not even doing something. Yeah, like like I could spend time with my kids, or I can do this call. But again, a lot of it is it depends who the person is because I don't I you couldn't pay me enough to have a conversation with me. I don't want to have. Uh-huh. So if the email was like, my life is falling apart. Dan is the savior that I believe in. And uh, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, Anne goes archive or appreciate the interest. Unfortunately, Dan's committed to other stuff. Like, she, like she'll deal with that. But like, if it, if it's somebody that I think I could be incredibly helpful to, and they've got like a meaty fun problem. Yeah. They mm-hmm. could buy it, but I don't, I don't, I zero do that. Like I may do three of those a year. Okay. I, I still do those and I actually find them fun. Normally it's not the person looking to, I think if the price is high enough, it's usually not the person that's like, my life is falling apart. I'm going to spend my life savings on this. That would be a very scary call to get. Some of the, so yeah, I'd say it's 50, 50. Really? Oh man, you're getting those? Hey man, the okay. bigger your audience, it's a lot of Tim, large numbers. <laughs> I know Tim Ferriss, had, he had this whole thing about how he finds sponsors for a show. And he's like, if you need this, I can't do it. Yeah. Like if you're depend, if you're spending 500 grand to get your product on my show and like you're that's making a last break, 500, that, that's, that's too much. There's no way that I'm doing this. He did this other thing. Do, do you remember when he did the open kimono uh, event? He did one for authors a long time ago, a decade ago. Yeah. And what I loved about that is he's like, I think he charged, it was a premium, like let's call it 10 grand. And he said, you have to wire the money. You're not allowed to put on a credit card. I'm not that for you. If if te- if you don't have ten liquid ready to go and it's not a big deal, don't come to this thing. And this is probably like 2012 money. Yeah, it's real money. That's yeah, like, like twenty five. Yeah, yeah. twenty five <laughs> grand today. So I just I I just love that. I think, but but I mean, and I talk about it in the book, the, the buyback rate is the thing we're trying to improve every year. So whatever your economic engine is, that it should be what you charge people for your time because technically they're taking that from you. They're not taking for you. You're going to offer it up. But you could either do that or go work on something that you know has more long-term value or like real value. So that's just kind of where I'm at. I actually run companies. So for me to get on a call with a coaching client, it has to be at a certain level because other than that, I should be evaluating a deal. I'm going to go buy a company. Yeah. So you you kind of already mentioned this, that like people who join your stuff, like they already have a business. You're not in the idea generation business at all. Zero. So we're... But I am curious though, where are people coming up with these ideas? Are they just like browsing product hunt? It's all, it's uh, awesome. Huh? It's awesome. I love it. Does, I, yeah. I don't, you people browse don't product hunt for old extensions. I, yeah. Or, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a lot of stuff. I think it's, it's always best from personal experience. So, I mean, if you look at like Basecamp, Shopify, you know, FreshBooks, you know, maybe the, it feels like, you know, our vintage of, of software, Dropbox, you name it. All these people created the products for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the best place to look. Start being a freelancer, do work with people, and mm-hmm. in your work, you will see where it is inefficient, and you hopefully should go on a journey to find a tool to help it make it efficient until you can't find the tool and you realize, I bet I'm not the only person that's having this problem. That is how the world works. Mm-hmm. All ideas are first experience problems. I actually think, the, the, somebody said once, they said the best art is created when the artist wants to create that art, mm-hmm. not when it thinks the market wants to buy my art. Mm. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs that don't aren't good with the ideation muscle, they like, I'm going to analyze, you know, the PE folks, right? The MBAs, they like scan the world and they're like, okay, I'm going to do a, what's the, the, the car, like the, the annual growth rates. And that's not how I, that's not how I've ever built a company. Uh-huh. I built a company always from personal pain, even my investments. I can't invest in something unless I personally would want to be a customer of the thing. Mm-hmm. Cause I just feel like I, I'm just, I, 
I learned a long time ago, I don't do things for money. I like to, to unlock money because it allows me to do more, but my decisions are always based on alignment of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's how I look at it. And I think that's how most entrepreneurs should do it. They should say, hey, what problems do I have that I'm passionate about that I'd love to see go away in the world mm-hmm. and go work on those? And most of the people who do this, are they programmers for no. the most part? No. Our, What's like, that split? Well, so our audience is different because we we work like our avatar, we call it Software Scaling Sam or Samantha. And this is a you know non-technical founder living in middle of America, non-coastal state, two kids, 36, like just very not tech bro. You know what I mean? Like those, the tech bros got Y Combinator, they got tech stars. The the folks we coach are, are people that might've been like, I was in the trucking industry and I'm, I'm working in operations. And I just think the way we're managing this is stupid. And I went and I, my boss asked me to go look at all the tools. And then my cousin's a programmer, he's in college. And I convinced my cousin and him and I, and we started working on this thing. All of a sudden we're doing 20K a month and we, and, and I'm doing calls, doing uh, demos. And I'm not win- like all my demos are, I'm like winning 5% of them. Mm-hmm. Like I will help you change your life. Mm-hmm. Cause that, that I know it's not hard. So that's, those are people. So I would say like 70% of our clients are non-technical CEOs. Interesting. Yeah. So they're working in a trucking company and they're like, well, we're sending faxes to each other. I'm sure we can make like a little, we're calling each other, figure out where you're at. Yeah. And there's these things called phones and I have share my location with my kids. I'm assuming we could do that with our trucks. And then they go, hmm, I wonder how I could build this. Yeah. My and then they find, they find my cousin, cousin. programmer. Hey, Billy, could you, if this, the, and she's <laughs> like, hey, check this out. I built it on the weekend. Oh, wow. Let's see if we could use it. I mean, that's, that's, I, it, that's actually how a lot, all companies work. And then even if that little iteration doesn't work, they go, oh, what else could we use this for? It's like, well, maybe not for trucking, but what about like, I don't know, something else. And it's, yeah. it's just, you just play with the idea until it eventually you, you have a customer and that's the product market fit. It's like, eventually you show it to a certain type of person and they go, oh, take my credit card. And do, yeah. you, do you get people that come in that are like the, the browsing product hunt, the browsing flippa, the browsing, I don't know, something like AppSumo, just a place where there's like a lot of software tools. Tech bros. Those are tech bros. Dude, they're the ones that Devil. do that. Like, just listen to yourself. No normal person knows those sites <laughs> unless you're a tech bro. Just saying. And I love you, but yeah, the the clients we have, man, they of course they've heard of Product Hunt, but they're uh, not on Product Hunt. These are like domain experts in the most obscure, like the like Grant, who runs this podcast studio. Do you, mm-hmm. Like, do you think he's on Product Hunt? He might be. I don't know his tech, and he's in Austin, so he's got glasses, probably. All right, <laughs> man, we're profiling hard. Um, but it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just normal people, not normal, but just, they're just working in their thing and, and they don't know anything about software, but they just have this entrepreneurial itch and, you know, they're hearing about this SaaS stuff and yeah. like, yeah. I, I mean, th- this is something I see all the time. Cause we have a bunch of like small business owners or it's, or it's employees of larger companies that come to like get stuff punched up. Right. Yeah. And every once in a while I'm like, Wow. That's a business I'd like to go into when I'm 50 years old. Yeah. I love these like boring. Really, they're boring. They are software companies for the most part, but they're very boring. Like stuff. Okay. For example, um, train management. Yeah. Uh, we had a client who was like doing a pitch deck and like the numbers were like eye boggling. I was just like, wait, what, what, what are these numbers? Uh, this is what you're selling. And, um, I just couldn't believe it. And that was like totally normal in the train world. 
right? Like a service for a trade. Dude, I'm so in right I'm, now. You, you, you got, you're speaking my friggin' love language. Like yeah. this is, so like I, we're working out this morning, the event's going on, a few clients flying early and Tulak, he comes in, he's from the UK. Mm -hmm. The guy runs software. It's a, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, it's people that go door to door for, I think field service. It's like field service, man, but safety, safety focus, right? Yeah. I think oil, oil and services. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like him and his wife are non-technical. They've been building this company for seven years. Mm -hmm. It provides a level of wealth for their family that honestly, and they would say this, is a little uncomfortable because they grew up with zero. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now they have an abundance of cash flow because that's the business model. If you have a great product with good retention rates, it can over time compound to a place where you're producing some real extra you know, money. And... Like they are, they, they, these businesses are the best ones. Like the companies that we buy, I want, I don't want, I don't do MarTech. If you're MarTech, thank you, but no, I don't, cause it's too transient, right? Like the game in software is build a product that is core workflow or core messaging or core uh, part of a business mm -hmm. that's niche, like, like train management. My favorite's prison management software. Not that I like prisons, but- <laughs> Like just super niche government stuff that's that's sticky. I mean, those the the tech cycles of that is twelve years, right? Mm -hmm. The average is seven, but in government it's twelve. So you get a customer, you can almost guarantee in twelve years on average they're going to be a customer. What's the LTV of that customer? I don't know if your client, the people listening know Lifetime LTV value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, what's a customer worth to you when you know they're going to pay for the next twelve months? Mm -hmm. And those are the ideas I think sometimes are a little harder to get going, especially if you have to get other people excited about it. Yeah. Right. Like the early teams, they're like, what are we doing now? Nah, I'm going to go do this AI copywriting thing. Cause that sounds more fun. But I think the problem when you do the AI copywriting thing, you're you and 1700 people. It, they're all the best programmers are working on AI copywriting stuff. Likely probably just going to be squashed by open AI or something like that. It's just, everyone's competing against that, that one little, like there's like a brand new technology and you're taking that little inch and like trying to like make something out of it. And you're almost like trying to like, what can I apply this technology to? Whereas the way you're saying is like, there's this legit problem and dumbass workflow that's happening. And we're just going to put it into. Dude, software. You just look at industries that are not dying. So I wouldn't go in newspapers, mm -hmm. right. Or blog right now or whatever mm -hmm. like it just seems like a lot of that stuff but i would say you know you could look at you know logistics and um you know even 3d printing and like there's all these like new innovations i think that's where the big opportunities are so like as i kind of i give these ideas to people for free all the time because i just want to buy or invest in these companies yeah but like you look at like fast growing, so like drones, 3D printing, obviously like blockchain. You, you look at these industries and then you figure out, well, what will they need, right? Like there was a, one of our clients follow-up boss, they were a real estate um, follow-up software. So they just found an industry that was growing, but then niche down. So they do HubSpot essentially for real estate only. Uh -huh. Well, who's the HubSpot for drone management software? Who's the Who's the... Who's the, you know, the Salesforce or NetSuite or Dropbox for 3D printing? Like, mm -hmm. the, like there, cause there's these unique use cases within the workflow that might need to be um, expanded on in the software that makes it now, uh, we don't use Dropbox, we use this thing. Why? Mm -hmm. Cause it allows us to do X, Y, and Z that's very unique to our industry. That's what I would encourage people to go look at. And is that, are people that do, are they're like the HubSpot for real estate. That person was already in real estate before. Yeah. They're yeah. usually like in that industry or kind of like somehow interested. That, that one's a funny story because if you listen to the founder story, he actually went looking for 
ideas. So he was kind of more like you're saying, where he was like in Facebook group. He was and, one of those foundation guys or yeah, something, Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. Back in the day, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some Dane and- uh, D- Dane yeah. Maxwell. Yeah. And, and what's his name? Drish. Andy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I, when I started doing my stuff, they're like, oh, you like the foundation? I'm like, no, actually they do the thing I don't do, which is teach people how to build the software. I work with them post-foundation. Mm. That's probably a better place to be. Well, just my happy place. I like, I like, I don't, I've never been good selling things. I don't like selling the dream stuff. You know, like some mm-hmm. people are like the, I just don't do, I'm just like, Hey, if you've got a thing and you want to make it better, cool. I just, cause there's so much freaking, there's too many dead bodies on that road uh-huh. that it just doesn't feel good for Here's me. Kind of random side story. Every year I try to do a couple little experiments just, just, just for fun. Last year, everyone was like, you need to start a newsletter agency. Yeah. Everyone said that. So I go, okay, maybe there's something to it. Like someone recommending you do YouTube in 2012. You're like, I don't want to do it, but let's see. So I, I think, okay, I got the infrastructure for this. I know a lot of writers already. Maybe I should do it. Yeah. So I start looking into it. I put the word out. I get a lot of leads and I start talking to people. I quickly realized like one guy had a big sports company and they do like sports betting or something like that. And I was like, okay, already a little in the shady industry, like uh, betting and stuff. And then they were talking about baseball. I don't know anything about sports. I don't know about anything about baseball. I just learned that the Super Bowl is about to happen soon. Mm. And um, I read their newsletters and I was like, man, I don't know anything about this. I have to, I have to focus on stuff where I know I'm some sort of expert yeah. on that. So I was like, okay, that's out. And then I started realizing, I was like, more and more as I was doing this, the people that really want you to write a newsletter are people that think like they've heard like newsletters is where the money is at or something. Yeah. And they're really hoping that you're the cure to their business, the the, the business that's not working. Yeah. You insert the newsletter and that's going to solve all the problems. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, just like we were talking about in the beginning. Yeah, the magic wand syndrome. The yeah, yeah, I'm not the magic pixel, wand. Pixel, pixie dust. And so, and so then I actually looked like who's doing newsletter agencies. The ones that are actually doing good are the ones that are not making you newsletters. You already have a newsletter. It's already doing well. You probably sell some other product that makes the money. The newsletter is just like a way yeah, of marketing. Yeah. And we just grow your newsletter larger. Yeah. Exactly kind of what you do. It's like, here's the playbook to grow larger. Writing the newsletter, that's your job. I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about it. Yeah. So it's, and I, but I mean, now that you say this, it is also selfish in the sense that it is better business to be in when you solve people that have money's problems. Yes. Like it, it, yeah. it is, now that I think about why I do it, it's also like, I don't, I like to sell things to people that have the ability to buy the thing I'm about to sell you. Like, and then it's just a decision if it's the right fit, but trying to sell something to somebody that doesn't have the money and you're the last money, as we were saying earlier, and it's like a hope and a prayer mm-hmm. that just, I'm like, that just sounds hard. Even if it's not like feels good, it's just not a great business to be in. Cause like, even in software, if you think about it, just to bring it back to every business in software starts as like an SMB type of tool, like a feature you hear this all the time. Like, Oh, that's yeah. a feature. Yeah. That's how every product in the history of software has ever started. So when people say that, I'm like, you're silly. You just don't understand how products are built. And eventually, guess what? They expand and they go up market. So Mm -hmm. every product that started, even as a consumer product, eventually ended up pro or business. And the reason they do that is because the expansion revenue is always at the upper end of the market because then you're selling to people that have bigger problems, that have bigger wallets to be able to solve those problems. That's a great business to be in. Mm -hmm. They pay quicker, they pay bigger, they stay longer. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about the growth ceiling, that's what we want to do. So when you invest in companies, is there like a criteria you have to invest or anything like that? Or is it just kind of like, I've is it solving got, I've, a problem? I've distilled it, dude. I, over the years I've done, so it says 50. That would have been when I got that award, but I'm over a hundred now. Uh-huh. I would say 
I did two deals last week and it's a hundred percent. I've distilled into one simple thing, people. Okay. Literally the- Betting on the jockey, not just the, the horse. If I read you the text message like, hey man, I'm starting a new company with my previous co-founder, blah, 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 blah. We're doing a small friends and family. I'm in. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, we're, we actually got a lead now and we're capping it at 25K. Is that how much do you want? 25K. Cool. I'll send the paper. Thanks. That was the text message. Why? The person. Did another deal. Hey, we're investing in this company. We think you should do it. Da, 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 da. We're putting a meaningful, meaningful amount of our money and our fund in it. Mm -hmm. I looked at it. I'm in. Mm -hmm. Cool. Where do we send the docs? Here. Done. Like, I don't, I don't, I used to worry about the idea. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, cause I, I was like, that seems crucial. Yeah, no, but it doesn't, it doesn't because man, I can't tell you how many people I've invested in where I was like, this idea is going to crush. Mm -hmm. And then the team just totally freaking implodes on itself. Mm -hmm. It, that, that is what happened. Co nobody talks about this. Co-founder fighting mm -hmm. is probably 50% of the reasons companies die mm -hmm. is the two people that started or three or four. Uh -huh. And then you got ding dongs running around with 20% of your cap table and 25% uh, of the business, mm -hmm. but they're no longer in the business. So then you've got this dead, dead value that you can't redeploy. You can't give it to somebody else that you might need to hire. Cause mm -hmm. this guy over here started and then there's resentment and dude, it's just so crazy just watching. So at the end of the day, I have to look at the person in the eyes and ask myself, will this person do everything possible in their power to make this idea, any idea come to life? Mm -hmm. Not even that idea. If that doesn't work within three months, they still raise a million bucks. Hey, can you pivot quick enough and go find an opportunity with what you got so far? That's what I'm looking for. And, so, uh, and I'm doing only early stage high risk VC angel investing. So that's a completely different portfolio than my acquisition. So I have a hundred million hold co mm -hmm. that's a, the, like the companies we buy there. Those are the boring companies. Those are the, what I call durable revenue. Okay. So like there are two different portfolios. So are you, whenever you're doing the angel investing like that, I'm assuming it's kind of like you put a hundred investments and like three of them pan out. It's it, it, it works out to the same math. And, and that's why, like, when I look at the the unicorn billion dollar outcomes that I've had, like the intercoms, mm -hmm. I could there was nothing about them. Like I, there's no pattern that I can actually look at at the beginning, other than the person. There mm -hmm. was no market. There was no timing. Again, for me, and and maybe there's smarter people that have done a deeper dive analysis. But it is. I, I think most people shouldn't angel invest unless they're willing to do a dozen deals. Yeah. I think they shouldn't angel invest unless they are willing and they're smart. And I'll give them the advice: write the same size check. 12 times over four year period. I got this advice from Naval Ravikant. Uh -huh. Okay. Cause I was asking him like, dude, how do you become one of the most prolific angel investors, you know, Uber, all these. And, but I asked him this question before he ever did Uber and he goes, you just got to be in market over a four year period. Cause if not, you're trying to pick timing. Yeah. Hot, excited, down, don't invest. Don't, you're not that good. Always be deploying capital, always deploy, deploy the same amount. Prior to meeting Naval, I probably put a million dollars to work in the most random decisions, 350 here, 50K there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like just all over the place. Oh, you know, things aren't going in my primary business right now. I don't feel like doing angel investing. Like he just said, hey, it's a very simple thing. You're not that smart. You can't pick them. But, but I mean, choose your thesis, have a thesis. Mine is people and certain, you know, tech. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then just, so you put like 25K in that guy, 25K in that guy, 25K Back then in that I was guy. doing 50, 
I think I pretty much stayed at 50, then went to 100. Mm -hmm. And then what I started doing after the fact, this is where you can actually create the most wealth, mm -hmm. is exercising your pro rata in the winners. So pro, sorry. Um, when the company goes to raise its next round, mm -hmm. you should always ask if you can participate or invest in that at mm -hmm. the, with the new investors mm -hmm. so that you get to keep the same percentage of yep. the company. Because what people don't realize is when you take money or you invest early, you might get 3% of the company. Mm -hmm. But as the company grows, it raises new money from other people, other investors, then you get diluted. Yeah. Essentially, your 3% your turns into 2.1%, turns into 1 point, turns into when they go public, it might be half a percent. Yeah. but it's half a percent of a uh, 6 billion valuation. So that's how it all works out. So exercising the pro rata is saying, Hey, a, I want the permission to do that. Cause sometimes they don't give it to you, mm. but if you've got it and they're a winner, like you're like, Oh, the revenue's there, not the freaking paper crap that everybody's doing right now. Cause it's like a lot of the investors just keep trading fake valuations. Yeah. It's not real. Like, look at the revenue is the, is there is a real money being made. Um, that's actually how angel investors can really create a lot of wealth because then you're essentially making 10 investments, 12 investments, and the three that you see take off, you put more capital behind those so that you actually get a bigger piece of the upside because you're almost guaranteed they're going to have a big exit. It, it, so I feel like this is kind of like the Warren Buffett style, but for angel investing, where it's just like, you, it, because he's always, he's always like just... Just put a certain amount in like the stock market. Oh yeah, yeah. For like index fund, like it's like, like a market. It's a very boring, boring. It's it's super boring, but it is kind of like well, he has been rich for seven decades straight. So you know, but, maybe but let, let's. So so the Buffett one's an awesome one because you got to. Uh, and I love studying people like Warren. Okay, Warren made his money buying private equity. Mm -hmm. Like, and I don't know all the context was like this, but I mean a lot of these companies are public. But he makes his money by deploying capital, buying stock in companies, public companies at a price that is fair for, and he says this, like I'd rather buy at a fair price for a good company mm -hmm. than a great price in a bad company. But like he, he just, because he has an unfair advantage, you know, copywriting, I know SaaS, like we have an, ex we know how to do stuff that is, is the tip of the spear. And that's actually why you should stay there because at the tip of the spear, you get other people's advantages. Mm -hmm. So Warren gets access to deals nobody else gets. <clears throat> he gets the calls nobody else gets. I get the calls nobody else gets because they want to be in business with a Warren, right? Mm -hmm. So he tells normal people that don't have his experience, knowledge, appetite. This, If you're asking me, what do I tell my kids? This is what I tell them. Yeah. Put it in an index fund, dollar cost average over time, have a decent portfolio that's diversified. But that's not what he does per se. Mm -hmm. He does what he, we should all do, which is where do I have asymmetric risk, like re returns in regards to like the downside's almost negligible and the upside is high. And how do I create an infrastructure to do that at scale? Mm-hmm. So, so then are, when you're investing in these companies, do you see a certain split? I feel like most people, it's like 5% will actually exit. Yeah. In a meaningful yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. 90% of them will probably do okay over a very long period of time and just chug along. I don't know about mm, 90%. No, it's not 90. It's it's one pays the fund. Yeah. Okay? So you'll get one that, that'll that'll make a 10X for the whole. So like one intercom, one Google. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. A yeah. Google and Uber, et cetera. So it's like you invest a million dollars total in different companies. Mm. One's going to make you potentially, potentially. You yeah. got to do enough, yeah. right? And you can't be investing in East Coast Canada where I grew up. That was the other mistake I made. 
Okay, great entrepreneurs don't live. There are some as a percentage, law of large numbers, the constant, this is why San Francisco is a beautiful place. And so is Austin, so is Boston, so is New York. The concentration of IQ per square foot is just higher. Why? Because they're mm -hmm. desirable places for people to live means that all the people in Eastern Europe and all the top entrepreneurs around the world come to America, the American mm -hmm. dream, to move to these cities to go study with the best of the best and the, the network effects. So that's another component of it is that you have to go and invest in places that have a target rich audience of people that do this. Mm -hmm. So I made the mistake of investing in East Coast Canada where I grew up and lost a lot of money. Then mm -hmm. I moved to San Francisco. So it's like, yes, one will make the fund. Let's call it on average three to 10. So on a million, you might get back three off one company mm -hmm. or 10. Then you've got three that'll pro out of 10, one will make the fund, three will make you a triple. And then I would say 50%, five will be a push. You might get your money back mm. and not, not even, so we're, no, no, three, three will be money back and then half will be complete wipeouts. And that's a standard across the industry. I feel yeah, like that's, that's pretty normal. Norm. That's yeah. like the norm. Because even, even the best, even the best venture capital for you talk about A16Z, whatever, they all have like that, same, you look at that their, same split, right? The problem is, is there's so many, do you want the real deal? The VCs are, are the, there's a lot of, can I swear? Sure. A lot of fuckery in the VC space. Uh -huh. And when I say fuckery, I mean like full on, they know they're deceiving their LPs. Uh -huh. they're, 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 they're messing with numbers, dude. They're borrowing money to make investments to delay when they have to report the capital deployed so that they can pump up their, what's called their IRR, their internal rate of returns. Mm -hmm. It's, it's bullshit. So it's, it's like, even if you look at the industry of how it's reported, it's not real because the activity behind the scene is not real. Mm -hmm. So they're reporting on nefarious people. The game of VC, of the big funds, I'm not going to call any names out, but yeah. you know who I'm talking about? Uh -huh. Like a lot of these, the game is capital raising because mm -hmm. they get their 2%. So there's no, like, it's actually a beautiful business model if you want to raise a fund mm -hmm. because you you can't lose. You never lose. Yeah. 2% of what are these funds? Billion dollar funds? Like, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, we invest in talent and services and we add a lot of value. Mm, not that much, right? You guys have a fleet of jets. And they, and they all play roughly the same game that like one Google returns, like that's kind of the whole thing. Yeah. The rest fail. They don't really care. No. And I mean, the other thing is, is they're not account. Imagine if you weren't accountable for your results for a decade. Like Neville, it's an easy way to fucking do a little fugazi. Yeah. Ooh, I'm waving my hands. I got a decade to kind of hopefully figure out. And guess what? If it doesn't work out, shut the fund down, start a new one with a different name, different team, and boom, I'm back into business. <laughs> l l let me ask you about, okay, ARR, annual- uh, Recurring revenue. It, it, okay, annual recurring revenue. On on Twitter, it's it's more passe to just like talk about your numbers nowadays. Everyone yeah. just like talks about the numbers. Yeah, that build in public. It's, it, really, it's, yeah. it's super cool, honestly. Yeah. 20 years ago, like no one talked about their money. Zero. Like yeah. Um, I was actually one of the first financial blogs to do that. And people are like, are you insane? Now it's just totally normal. But one funny thing, and I just want to know your thoughts on this because you probably deal in ARR, MRR, all that stuff all the time, is people say like, I hit basically a million dollars ARR yeah. this month. And I'm like, 
but people leave the business too. So like a lot of AI startups, you hear that a lot. Yeah. It's like we hit a million ARR. I'm like, so people go like, wow, a million. They think like there's a million dollars in that person's bank. And I'm like, wait a second, a million divided by 12, you're talking 83, about 83,333, okay. whatever. So you're talking about 80,000 a month, uh, roughly equivalent that you've hit, but that doesn't account for any churn or anything like that. Is this another way that like, do people in software get blindsided by this? Is this like a, a dangerous way to talk like ARR? I, I think it all depends. I mean, anytime we're communicating, we're either deciding if we're trying to like overinflate, pump up our tires, um, you know, choose the data points to create credibility. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, we get it. I, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm. I'm immune to the same thing. If somebody's mm -hmm. asking me how's the business doing, I said, Hey, man, we did you know six million run rate. Mm -hmm. That's the way I say it because I think ARR is kind of confusing because annual re reoccurring revenue. They think, oh, that's a six million annual reoccurring revenue. I'm saying run rate now they may, but again, maybe they don't know, but I, and maybe I should say, uh, whatever that number is per month, right? Mm -hmm. Five, six, you know, five, 600 K a month. Yeah. Um, cause that obviously actually, as I say that it's clear. Yeah. And it's actually probably the right thing, but you know, if you're trying to communicate the seriousness of your business, mm -hmm. it does sound, which sounds better. We're at a 6 million run rate mm -hmm. or we did 500,000 in revenue. Mm -hmm. 6 million sounds bigger, better, and more impressive. So if you're talking to your bank and you want to get their attention, you might want to choose the data points. So I, I don't mean to be so esoteric about it, but mm -hmm. as a copywriter, you can understand this because I can say the same thing 14 different ways. Mm -hmm. And one way is going to get the person to lean in. Mm -hmm. If that's, you know what I mean? And that's just a marketing communication tool. So mm -hmm. I think the AR, I don't have a problem with the AR. I have a problem especially in the internet marketing folks and like people are like, yeah, we did 6 million. It's like you did six on the launch, you paid out 7.2 million in. <laughs> yeah. So I'm the way I communicate with my clients is always, you know, what's your EBITDA? Like EBITDA, EBITDA, like I want to know how much money you had left after the fact. And then my follow-up question is always, how much are you paying yourself? Are you paying yourself market mm -hmm. while well, I'm not taking the salary? Okay, that number's inflated. So, but I mean, that, I put that a lot of it on the, the, the audience. They should educate themselves on what these numbers mean. Yeah. But, but I mean, I don't think, I think it's fair to say, hey, we're doing X in ARR. And, but even ARR to me is not run rate. And I think they're using ARR as a run rate and they mm -hmm. should just say run rate. Because ARR to me is a little bit more mature revenue. Well, ARR, it's, but it it's like is. If you're though. selling year-long contracts, you say ARR. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But if you're selling like a little monthly subscription product and people are canceling every month, well, yeah, if you got can't say ARR. monthly churn, you're losing every customer every three months. So it's yes. kind of a so inflated. I'm just like, you're just times twelving your revenue <laughs> for yeah. no reason. But well, that's but, not. But deserved. technically, that is what ARR is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, quick, two two more things: content marketing, and book marketing. Uh, content marketing, is that like a big part of your strategy? I mean, you got, you got like a video guy over here. You're doing, you're doing podcasts. I'm assuming content marketing still. It is solid it, part of your business. I would say what's changed for me in the last, uh, it would be May, right, Sam? Yeah. So it was like May, eight months. Yeah. Is I have always, so the YouTube, so the conversation with Travis in San Diego, mm -hmm. that got me down on like, okay, let's do the video. I'd always been on Twitter and I'd blogged. Okay, my whole life, like mm -hmm. not my whole life, but since 2008 or yeah, 2007, 2008. Essentially the whole life of the maturity. Of the, yeah, the maturity of blog the, web 2.0 the in many ways. Post iPhone internet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then what happened was, you know, I'm friends with Hermosi, Gary V, Cody, Noah, mm -hmm. and 
<laughs> you know, you, there's, how many times can you hear the same thing said different ways from people you admire till you actually like go, maybe there's something there. And it was just like, I remember we were in Vegas uh, with the team sitting down with Layla and Alex and and Alex, obviously Hermosi's just, mm-hmm. just meteoric rise the previous year, just boom. And I, and so, and, and I, we've been friends for like years and, and mm-hmm. there was, a, and he talks about this. There was a pl- time where he was like, I don't want to be that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a marketer. I'm a business person. And, and he, he sh- shifted his lens and he tells the story about why, but I was still not there. Right. Like, and I just sat down and I said, sell me on it. Mm-hmm. And it was just pure math. He goes, you buy companies. I say, yeah. He goes, how much money, time, people do you invest in like deal flow and pipeline, all that stuff? And I was like, oh, we probably, we're probably per deal. This is the amount, mm-hmm. you know, tens of thousands of dollars per deal, per company we buy. And he tells me the volume of people that fill out his application on acquisition.com every day mm-hmm. due to his content marketing. Mm-hmm. And I ran the numbers. You couldn't pay to to get that volume. Yeah, Like it was like, for whatever they were investing in media, and that's what people are like, I heard he spends a hundred grand a month or whatever. It's like, you don't understand the economic upside. Mm-hmm. That's a rounding error. Mm-hmm. And then I had that same feeling I had with Travis, which was, can't dispute the numbers. I'm a math guy, the math maths. Really, really, like really anxious. Don't know if I want to be a guy on the internet, a guru, whatever, yeah. guru, all that. Don't know if I want to live my life publicly, right? And and I also realized that I was full of shit because how can I say to you, to everybody, that my mission and my passion is to have impact and help other people and I'm playing small? And I wasn't, dude, I had 100,000 subs on YouTube. I've been doing this shit for a decade. Like I'm not, to, most people, I was, I was doing it. Mm-hmm. I was tweeting and an audience and speaking and blo- like all of it. But if I looked in inward, I knew I was acting like an amateur. Mm-hmm. I was playing. It was a hundred percent safe. Here's, here's the logic. Cause I, I mean, the cool thing about coaching other people is you have to look in a mirror and listen to yourself sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. So like <laughs> I always ask people, like, if, if this is important to you, then show me two things, your bank account. Show me, like, if your relationship with your partner is important to you, show me your bank account on where you deploy money mm-hmm. in that relationship. Most people, uh, date night, oh, wow, $87 once every two weeks. That's that's how you're doing your relationship. And then calendar. And when I looked at my, my, my P&Ls and my businesses, if you want to call that, of how much I was investing, dude, it was almost like a joke. It was like, how little can I spend to create YouTube videos? How little time can I spend to create content? That was, I actually bragged about this. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not how I build companies. My philosophy in companies is wake up every day to ask yourself a simple question. How do I create more value for other people in the world, my customers than any other person? Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing that with my content. Mm-hmm. So I got, you know, Stephen Pressfield turning pro style. And I just said, all right, we're going to have to, there's a whole lot in my life's got to shift, dude like a whole lot, renegotiate agreements with my business partners, talk to my wife. She's like, I ain't doing that in my house. You're gonna have to get a place. So I had to get a studio mm-hmm. called Sam who's here. I said, dude, I need you to move here. I'm on the West coast. I moved to a city on the West coast. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, I need you to move. He's like, what? And then <laughs> dude, he got in his car, him and his, my other video guy, Matisse, and they drove for 48 hours straight, 52 hours straight. 
And, and when I say I have an unlimited budget, I have an unlimited budget. Mm -hmm. He knows it. Like, dude, just make it happen, whatever you're doing. So yeah, when you say there's a content part of it, it's really about reaching reputation. So, so then, I mean, how are you approaching it? So when you say, okay, I'm going to invest a lot of money, I have unlimited budget. What do you, like, what do you, what do you do? You, like just, I, you I like, sit down at a meeting and be like, we're going to do a podcast interview or we're going to make a it, well, video. It, to me, it's, it's the way I do anything. Right. So, so the first off is, is strategy. Okay. So what do we, what, what, who do we want to serve? Okay. What's the target? What's your ICP kind of thing? What's, what's your unique message? What's your, like when, from a product point of view, what, what, uh, what are you doing that's different? What's something that only you have an, like that you have a unique opinion on, right? And again, these are not Dan Martell ideas. This is, I hired people like Sam and said, hey, you guys, you guys go talk to the people, talk to Caleb with Alex's team, talk to Cody's team, talk to Noah's team. Like just, let's just talk to the smart people, figure out what they're all saying and then put that together and come up with a plan. And then, and then this is again, business 101, pick and focus. So what channel are we going to focus on? Okay. So like, where's the force multiplier? So which one do we start with? We decided to start with YouTube or no, was it Instagram first, Sam? Yeah. So all in on Instagram mm -hmm. and all in until we get the momentum going and then hire more people to then deploy to the next one, then to YouTube, then, you know, and then we just keep working through it, but you got, it's just like a business. We have a dashboard. We, it's literally a TV in this studio. It's got all the metrics. It's just, I, I just decided to do what I do in every other business in a media company, mm -hmm. but the media company is the Dan Martell brand. There's no, like, we don't do client work. This is dedicated team to all of this. Do you do uh, kind of a random question? Is SEO part of this at all? Um, I know, again, I'm not the guy to ask. Like, so, so one thing about me, Neville, is like, I work through people. And when somebody, when they want to talk to me about SEO, I just look at them and say, is this something you want me to know about? Mm -hmm. Because I don't need to know about it. Mm -hmm. And they go, ah, I guess you don't need to know. I said, perfect. Instead, can we work on the creative outlines or something I can do? I will say, because I talked to, I work out with Sam. Uh, this morning he was showing me some of the stuff they're doing on the podcast SEO and it's pretty badass. So I would say SEO pertains to each platform. Uh -huh. So but are you talking bro, about bro. YouTube? talking about articles on google like when when you when yeah, you started in 2008 that yeah. was like the big thing yeah i would say today it is not it's not i i know because it's not even our conversations yep. content on google article wise is not even a thing for us right now okay got it that's we're, we're looking I mean, for organic we don't do paid ads all organic distribution for you pages. And that's the beautiful, unique thing that's happening right now in this world. It don't matter if you have 13 followers or 13 million followers. If you create content that the algorithm likes on that platform, yeah. it will go viral. Well, that, that's just what I'm seeing, like this tectonic shift in SEO, where it used to be like the ultimate thing to get. Yeah. And that's how you, people would be like, I searched this and found you. Yeah. I would hear that all the time. Now, no one says that. And it's all about like, I followed your Instagram video or something. No, it's I saw you in yeah. my For You page. Yeah. Like literally, I'll tell you a great story. The other day, two weeks ago, my wife messaged me, goes, check out this kid. I, I looked through his name, Sam, Sam something. And I was like, I know his last name. about." Yeah. So he's like, Sam, whatever. And I go, oh, cool. I was like, I clicked through, like his story, go to messages. I'm like, oh, he's a client. I actually have a coaching program in the back of that book. He's in my program. She's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, I really like his message. You should, you should like help him more. I go, cool. Reach out to Sam. Hey, dude, when are you coming to Kelowna, where I live? He was like, I don't know, anytime. I was like, cool. How about you come like next Tuesday? He's like, buying a ticket now. 
reach back out to my wife. Sam's coming to Kelowna next Tuesday. What? How, you did that fast. I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty quick at taking action. And then I go, how did you hear about him? Right? And she goes, he was recommended to me. And I'm like, this is how the world works. Sam puts out great content. My wife resonates with it. She shares it with me. He flies in. Not only do we take him on a founder's high, go for coffee. Sam brings him to jam. We bring him to the media studio to show him everything. Da, 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 da. Like we're going to change this guy's life. And he, and, and, and he deserves it. Why? Because he is putting himself out on the world to help other people. And I think that's what, that's what a lot of content creators might be missing is that any form of gatekeeping, any form of holding back, any form of doing it other than for the reason of serving other people, it, it's just not going to go viral. And, and you have to have an opinion. Most people aren't saying anything. Mm -hmm. So that's, that, that to me is like the new world of the equivalent of an SEO. Or it used to be that. I, I, I completely agree. I, I actually think also the death knell of it, I think, was the generative AI stuff. Yeah. And like right now, it's 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 actually pretty good. Like if you search like, you know, what is a clincher sentence or something yep. like that, generative AI on Bard, Google, whatever it's using, I don't really care, to be honest. It comes up with a set, uh, an answer that I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. I, yep. I don't need to click into a website with a ton of ads yep. to read any more about this. Yep. And I just can't imagine that in two to five years, that's going to get worse. No. It's going to get so good that trying to compete with that is just almost, Dude, if I think, it feels like a fool's error. If I look at my personal searched on Google versus, you know, chat GPT default on my home, on my phone, mm -hmm. I'm probably 60% chat GPT over Google. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the Google stuff is just addresses and like information, mm -hmm. not knowledge. Hmm. Yeah. My, I love the experience of being able to double click with the chat GPT and ask it really crazy, cool questions. Uh, so we're doing all this content marketing. Why a book <laughs> then? This seems like backwards. Yeah. You know, so, so the, that book came out before I started going all in. So that's what happened is the book came out and that really blew my brain in regards to never, I don't know, like I, I, I saw this. All right. How do I explain this? I've read over 1800 books. I love books. Books have shaped me. When I, people stop me, I'm driving around in my McLaren and they go, Hey man, what do you do? I said, I know you want to know what I do, but let me tell you what I've done. And this car was bought by books. And it's funny because sometimes the kids would be like, you get paid to read books. And I'm like, all right, let me explain this to you. <laughs> but that's how much books had an impact in my life. And, and for years I've had an audience and people asking me to write a book. And I'd always say, no, I don't need a book. I'm like, I have money. I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to get paid 50 K to keynote events. Like that's not my thing. And eventually my buddy Ron calls me up. I had the YouTube stuff and he, he literally, and it's in the very end of the book, I acknowledged him. And he goes, you need a book. And I said, no, nah, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And he goes, dude, this is stupid. You're one of the few YouTube channels I watch. You have so much knowledge around these topics. I want to read your book. And mm -hmm. I said, then, it was a longer conversation, but I said, then you be the book, you be the book CEO. Mm -hmm. And Ron had written two best-selling books, really accomplished author. And he goes, let me think about it. And he hangs up, calls me back, said, let's do it. So Ron became the book CEO. He hired Lucinda, our agent, his agent, but now our agent. And we became partners on this book mm -hmm. and we worked on it. And it took like a year or two years until it finally came out, maybe two and a half years actually from that conversation to, to it coming out. Good Lord. Yeah. Well, Penguin Random House, traditional I, publisher. I totally blah, understand. Blah, I know. It's, and it's I'm, insane. I'm so not a fan of that process. Yeah. Zero going to do that again. No like, I don't care about the list and all that baloney. 
Anyways, book comes out and I couldn't believe it. Like people that have known me, my brother, my wife, my best friends, they didn't, they weren't listening to any of the shit I was putting out there. None of it. But they read the book. Mm -hmm. The book changed their lives. Yeah. They were like, oh, I finally get it, Dan. I watch you live. I seen how you, I couldn't understand it. Now I understand it. And I put it into practice and my life changed, including my own wife who sleeps next to me every night. Dude, I have pictures of her reading the book for 10 days <laughs> in a row. And she finally, I got, I got an assistant, Dan. I'm doing there, this. There, there are some, I mean, uh, I write all day. This is pri the primary business. Yeah. This to me, when I see this, I'm like, it's just a long blog post. Yep. It is a document with words. And then you print it out. Yeah. There's no difference between this and a long blog post, but there's something about this that is immortal. And like, you know, the nuclear war happens and then like, this might actually survive our computers. No one's know how, know how to decode it. So like, there's something about this that uh, definitely carries some weight. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. And, and, the other, and, I, and that's the, I had that same kind of lens on it. And then I realized that even working on the book, I, I had my writing partner, Paul, and like just the structure of the book and what makes a great book. And it, 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 it actually is a little different though, right? Cause like, it's so crazy. It's like, what is the one thing that we have a unique opinion on and that we can just kind of, and we all know like, Hey, if you really want the book first three chapters, you're good. You could stop after you can actually skip to the third chapter, which is actually the chapter that opens up the framework. Everything else is kind of selling you on finishing the book. Like, like as a copywriter, you get this. It's like, Every, the title, the subtitle, the first opening pages, it literally is designed to get you to just hopefully maybe finish the book. Because if you finish the book, you'll recommend the book. And that's what makes a great book go viral word of mouth. Um, but it's like the third chapter is actually the bulk of the book. And then each other chapter unpacks the thing. Even in all that, it's just fascinating. And here's what I think it is, 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 is that people want to spend time on a concept and what, as they're reading, they're reading it through their own perspective mm -hmm. and they're staying with it. And if, if you can give them a unique point of view, that's what I tell people all the time. I'm just a professional point of view dealer. I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't sell drugs anymore. I sell <laughs> points of views. It's like, which one do you want? Cause if you can adopt this one, I think your life will change. If people understand the buyback principle, their whole business world will change and it'll impact their life. Cool. And we got to wrap up right now, but like a couple, like 10, 20 second answer stuff. Um, yeah. Book that's changed your life personally. Uh, first book I ever read that nobody's probably ever heard of is called Love is a Killer App by Tim Sanders. Love is a Killer what? App. App? Love, Love is, is a, a killer, killer App. Tim Sanders. Um, any business in particular you would start again if you had to start again today? No, I, I would be doing it if I... If I wasn't. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, tell me something about rich people that 99% of people don't know. Yeah. Rich people look at, when they look at money, they're, they're looking at things that they can buy that's going to make them money. Poor people look at things that they can consume. Mm -hmm. And then middle class look at buying stuff that improves their credit score. Nice. <laughs> Just saying uh, that's like the easiest way to understand. And then lastly, you have two kids. What skills are you teaching your kids so they're set up to succeed no matter what the technological landscape lots, in the future lots. is? Lots. I would say creative thinking and emotional intelligence. Those two, for sure. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. And emotional, emotional intelligence, EQ. Nice. Where can people find you? 
Instagram is my favorite. So find me, Dan Martell, 2 If people want, so I do have a, like a internal SOP for my assistant. If they want that, just, for, you got to mention Neville, I'm not going to send it to you, but uh, find me on Instagram, give me a follow, message me directly, and I'll send them directly to the Google doc. There's no opt-in, no nothing. For the book? Yes. Nice. Not even, it's it's the SO, it's not in the book. It's my internal system I use with my assistant. You met Anne? Yeah. So we have a, I think a 47 page document that has what she does for me. And I will give that to your audience only. But you have to message, follow me on Instagram, message me, say Neville. Dan Martell and EA Instagram. Playbook. EA Playbook. DM you. Yeah. Neville. N E V I L L E. Sweet. EA. Dude, thanks so much, man. Dude, so Appreciate good. Doing this. Awesome call. Sweet. Hey, before you go, let me tell you about the copywriting course real quick and what it is. So the copywriting course is, as you can imagine, a copywriting course, right? You watch some videos, you learn stuff a la carte about email, sales pages, web pages, digital marketing, all of the above. And so, of course, you can learn from our courses, but it is so much more than that. You see, one of the reasons that people get good at writing is by practicing writing. So inside the course, you actually get practice by doing quick assignments or submitting your copy to our writers and getting professional feedback on it. And so we have this whole entire members forum, like a specific custom built forum for copywriters. Uh, so you can submit your copy and pro writers will help critique it and rewrite it. And not only your copy, but your images, your tables, all that kind of stuff. It's like having a whole marketing team working on your copy. And many people just join for the forum just to get their copy reviewed, just that alone. But not only that, you also get live help in office hours. That's right. Every Thursday, I hold a live office hours and we hop on a Zoom call and just all the people in the office hours, it's private, so you're not gonna get blasted on the web or anything. And you submit what you want critiqued and we go over it. And oftentimes, it, actually most of the time, just rewrite it on the spot or talk about how to make it better. So one of the last ones, someone had a big real estate group and they were wondering if uh, they could make a cohort. And so we wrote up a quick uh, thing, they posted it and instantly they got 80 people interested and over 230 comments on the post asking to be inside the cohort. So little things like that. A lot of times it's just like a little push to get you to do something. And uh, if you go to copywritingcourse.com slash office, you'll see literally thousands of different office hours questions we've answered and all these wins. So you can copywritingcourse.com slash wins to see all the wins that people get inside the course. Um, not only that, we have weekly lesson newsletters that you can get. You can get copywriting certified and you can learn by watching others and grow. So every uh, week there's new stuff inside the community. There's new office hours and you can watch people live redoing their businesses. You get feedback in our forums and you can directly ask me, myself, the writers and the community questions. I mean, it is one of the best values in digital marketing on the entire internet. We've trained people at big companies and small companies, Gartner, AppSumo, The Hustle Wins It, White Rock Locators, Ahrefs, Best Self, Nerd Fitness, and people freaking love copywriting course. Uh, this one guy says, within a few minutes of watching some videos, I was buzzing with ideas on how to change my emails. And the next day we had our highest sales day ever from a promotion I wrote the same day as signing up for the copywriting course. I love hearing things like this where they think they're gonna take like a full year to learn stuff. They learn a few things, implement it, and they're like, oh my God, I literally paid for your course 10X over and I still get to use it. So anyways, go to copywritingcourse.com slash join and join the copywriting course right now. It's one of the best investments you'll ever make and uh, talk to you inside.